0: again, everybody. It's Mike Petralia, and it's episode 214 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. You can find us at www.clnsmedia.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Trags, T-R-A-G-S. And you can follow the network on Twitter, at CLNS Media. Also follow us on Facebook, at facebook.com slash CLNS Media. This is an honor and a pleasure to welcome Jeff Howe, Patriots beat writer of the Boston Herald, one of my very favorite people on the beat, and I think you know why, Jeffrey. You have the same sense. Happy sen- to be
1: here, Mike. <laughs> you have the same <laughs> let's, warped. Let's get weird.
0: <laughs> you have the same warped sense of humor as I do.
1: Nice. I also enjoy talking while you talk. So. <laughs> well, mission
0: accomplished. Our, our first goal is accomplished. I want to know why you hate Eric Stone
1: Street so much. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it- goes back to 2014 playoffs when i wrote a a uh, before the the patriots chiefs game the playoff oh, yeah. game i uh, was that 2014 or 15 whatever uh, it was it was
0: 2015 i think yeah 2015 all
1: right yeah 15 so right before the divisional round game i i did this big breakdown film breakdown which i take very seriously i don't do them all the time but i certainly like to do, them do. Before the playoff games And, you know, I put a lot of time into the Chiefs' defense for that particular story, the one that he took exception to. He's a big Chiefs fan. Yep. And I wrote about Marcus Peters and how good of a rookie season he had, but about the vulnerabilities that he had in in his tendency to play six to eight yards off the line of scrimmage. So the Patriots were probably going to expose that with Julian Edelman and the like uh, with a lot of crossing patterns because he's going to give up that much cushion. Sure. can't beat him vertically but you can beat him laterally and that's exactly what the patriots ultimately did not to pat myself on the back but that's exactly what i'm doing right now but in the middle of all of that i tweeted something julian edelman's gonna have a really good day against uh marcus peters and rich eisen on his show ends up picking that up tweet kind of got a a lot of steam rich eisen picks it up coincidentally he has stone street on it's like one of his regular guests and reads that out loud, and Stone Street starts taking some pretty uncalled-for shots at me, and pulls the whole, oh, is he a coach? Oh, is, is he a coach? Over and over and over again, and uh, basically, like, question my integrity and what I knew and all this other stuff, so I uh, I was pretty ticked off about it, and I sent him some tweets, and then, of course, the game unfolds the way that it does, and and not only Edelman, but Keyshawn Martin, of all people, beat uh, uh, Peters, Peters for a big game. Right, and uh, you know, then I'm I'm calling out Stone Street again afterward, kind of asking for an apology, and he turtled, and I haven't heard from him since. So let's uh, fast forward to Tuesday night uh, at approximately
0: six forty-five Eastern time. Twitter sends out a um, you know a, a, a tweet. Can, can't fit your tweet into 140 characters? We're trying something new. To which you respond, there are 280 characters on Modern Family who are funnier than at Eric Stone Street, if we're being honest. So that is uh, just well played, Jeffrey. Very, very well played.
1: I'm as petty as they... Like-
0: Oh, and you're not forgiving. You know, there's another moment. um, (laughs) Speaking of defensive backs, and this kind of dovetails pretty well, which we always try to do here on the Patriots Beat uh, podcast on CLNS Media, and that is uh, we're going to talk about Marcus, uh, I should say Malcolm Butler, right off the top. And one of the most memorable moments, of course, of training camp was you and Mike Felger talking about the body language story of Malcolm Butler, and, um, you know, how all of that developed, and, you know, people reading into things about the way Malcolm Butler was handling himself, and the thing I admire about you, Jeff, is you will call people out for something they said that you don't think, not necessarily isn't legit, but doesn't have the right context behind it. Was that
1: simply all that was about? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I don't, I don't start, fights or media spats or anything like that unless i think they're warranted and that was really an an innocent case of actually right case right place right time i heard uh felger reading bedard's story about about butler uh like before while i was just in my truck and that was how i caught wind of it i kept my mouth shut i wasn't going to bring anything up and then toucher and rich asked me about that report like a week later and I, I said my piece, and I, I took issue with that. And then what I really didn't like was later that day, Felger starts ripping me and uh, my credentials and my integrity and, and saying that I'm in the bag for Butler and how I'm defending him when he doesn't deserve to be defended. And I thought I thought that was Bush League for Felger to do that. I mean, I've, I have Felger's old job at the Herald. So he knows what goes into it. So I, I called him on it. I was I was kicked off. Uh, right. My only regret from that entire day was not the morning stuff that I said, but just on Comcast that night was that Bedard got brought into it, and I kind of had to – I didn't – you know, the, the stuff I said about Bedard, he deserved to be there to defend himself for, and I apologized to him for that part of it. Uh, not for my disagreement with the take, and me and Bedard are fine, but I uh, I really didn't like the way that, that Felger kind of at- at- attacked my integrity and the way I go about my business, because I think my track record speaks for itself, and look, I got a little lull in me, so I made sure I wore you my sure lull do. t-shirt on, on TV that night, and uh, I, I call it like I see it, you know, I, I own everything I say. In Cincinnati, we call that red ass, Johnny Red Ass. Um,
0: uh, so it's, it's another, another take, another expression, but look, you, you, me, Greg, whoever it is, we've all been on that beat. And I think we all have a respect for one another when we watch the game closely or we watch practice closely and you may disagree with, you know, Greg's take, but I understand exactly what you're saying, Jeff, that, you know, if you have, if you have a disagreement with somebody else on the beat, you'd like to take them up. Uh, take that up with them in person, because when they're not there, it feels so awkward because you're you're working with a guy who's also on the beat and you just don't feel comfortable and I completely understand what you're saying. The problem I think a lot of us have uh and I don 't want to get too much into the media business you, you know get sidetracked for why i 'm having you on but the the whole point of people who aren't there actually on site covering the team it's a different feel
1: entirely, correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially during training camp. And Greg had been there every day this summer. It was just the context of previous summers, comparing it to that. And that's that was my contention with the way that he, he had that kind of story written out. So, you know, that was the only thing. But look, training camp is when you learn more about the team than any other time of the year because you see them on the field 16, 17, 18 times over the course of one month. Sure. And you learn about all these trends and everything. And Nobody sees everything. It's it's absolutely impossible. That's why you know. That's why even Bill Belichick goes back and rewatches practice, however many times. I mean, it's impossible for anybody to see anything. But I just didn't think it was fair to compare Butler of this camp to last camp. And and you know, again, not. I think everybody who's listening understands this. But just to to reiterate, me and Greg have had this conversation. So this is this is not us just re you know going back and and revisiting history here
0: sure now going back and watching and looking back on training camp when you were watching Malcolm Butler on the field body language aside the way he was playing was there any indication to you that he would struggle at the beginning of the year I mean let's face it Jeff he is he did not have a great preseason there was the game um, in Houston and the game in uh, Detroit uh, where he was Not tracking the ball properly at all. He looked like a rookie out there. And it was, I think, very surprising to a lot of us who have seen him over the last three years. Um, He was just losing separation so drastically. Could you see any of this coming uh, in training camp or in the preseason?
1: Not training camp, and I've actually I've said this a, a lot recently, uh, and, and I stick to it, and I'm, I don't believe I'm the only one who feels this way. I thought Malcolm Butler was the Patriots' best defensive player throughout training camp, and I didn't think there was a close second, and that's not an affront to any of the other players. I thought Butler was that good over the course of every single one of those practices. The preseason was a different story. That's when things started to fall off. You're right. He struggled in the preseason. There is no question about that in the two appearances. And then in the opener, he didn't have a bad opener, but that pass interference penalty in the end zone was obviously bad. Uh, week two game, you know, Patrick Chung didn't do him any favors by not winning that jam at the line on the rub route that winds up for a five-yard touchdown. But, look, that's still on Butler. And the it, it didn't get off to the right start. And whatever was happening behind the scenes, and Butler alluded to it last week when he talked, and he, he has – thought about the contract and and how that has how that would impact him or or at least in, in relation to temporarily losing his starting spot because he's a human being and I spoke to I mean last year was as big of a in terms of contracts and the upcoming free agents 2016 was unlike I think any year we've ever seen or at least any year I've been on the beat so those guys said yeah, they thought about this stuff. They are human beings, but they didn't bring it into the locker room, and I thought that was important. And by all accounts, Butler has not brought this stuff into the locker room. So he can think about it and all that other stuff, but he's not complaining about it to his teammates. He's not worried about it. So I think that's the important thing. And then ultimately, truly the the most significant aspect of this, that was a good wake-up call. And Bill Belichick knows how to push everybody's buttons. He sure Everybody does. Everybody yep. has, and he's got just such a great track record of it. I mean, there's 2009 is the exception to the rule. I mean, people kind of, you see things kind of go off the rails a little bit, and it's like, oh, this is a repeat of 2009. Well, that's the aberration. You know, that's, that's happened once in however many, in what now Belichick's 18th season as, as the coach. You go back to last year when Jamie Collins wasn't doing things the right way, he trades him. Javal Sheard wasn't doing things the right way. He leaves him at home for the trip to San Francisco. Malcolm Brown not doing things the right way. Benches him for the first half. This year, dealing with similar things, just earlier when the sample size is a whole lot smaller and everything gets blown up a whole lot greater, and he didn't like whatever was going on with Butler. Uh, Maybe it was strictly performance. Maybe there was something else to do with it. But he sits him down, or at least demotes him to the third cornerback on the depth chart. And, you know, he was still, uh, That's I think, one thing people missed about that Week 2 game. He was still very much part of the game plan. It was just when they went to a three-safety nickel, Butler was off the field. When they went to a three-corner nickel, Butler was on the field. And then, of course, Rowe injures his groin, and Butler is back into the top two role. Last week, against the Texans, he comes out, and, and there weren't a lot of good defensive performances. Butler certainly was at the top of the list. He allows two catches for ten total yards, both of them against... uh DeAndre Hawkins, so that was a good day at the office
0: You know, and the other thing, Jeff Belichick and Matt Patricia uh, on Tuesday, I thought seem to throw Malcolm an olive branch or at least give him his due respect saying look that's the way we need him competing the word that always seems to come up Jeff when, when you're talking about Malcolm Butler is his compete level on the ball and how uh as Matt Patricia particularly talks about Butler in these terms he is so competitive on the ball and I thought last week uh against uh the uh Texans, he he did show that compete level, especially when he was on the occasions that he was matched up against DeAndre Hopkins.
1: Yeah, and you saw that series. The only two matches he led up were in uh, back-to-back plays there. I think it was in the second quarter. It was a five-yarder, and then there was a timeout, and then there was another five-yarder to Hopkins. Both on five-yard hitches, and on the second one, I mean, Butler Butler threw him to the ground on both occasions. The second one, he got pretty much right in Hopkins' face. And you could see the amount of energy that Butler brought, uh, not just to the game, but to that play in particular. It was basically, hey, you know what? If you're going to catch the ball on me, I'm going to throw you to the ground. I'm going to make sure you earn those five yards. And Butler said right after the game, look, that was that was something that he wanted to do. That was a goal of his to bring more energy to the game. So talk about Bill Belichick pushing guys' buttons, he pushed the right ones with Butler. And I think you're going to see uh, his best football over the final 13 regular season weeks, and however many they play beyond that.
0: We're talking with Patriots beat writer Jeff Howe, bringing some terrific insight to what it is like covering the Patriots on a daily basis. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. It's weekly fantasy football, but not like the other guys. On draft, you play real live snake drafts with other people, just like in your season-long league. Here's how it works. It's a draft that lasts for just one week, and there's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of last-minute injuries for you. Draft starts every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part, play for cold, hard cash. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everybody. No salary caps. Play in a real live snake draft, just, just like you play with your friends in a season-long league. Come and join me on Draft today. Download the app at any time. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes. Or right from your computer on PlayDraft.com, whichever way you want. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into Draft when you make your first deposit. But first, you have to use my promo code PATSBEAT. That's right, play for a real money game for free just using my promo code PATSBEAT on your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com and play for free with promo code PATSBEAT. Once again, talking with Jeff Howe, an extraordinary beat writer, for the New England Patriots, for the Boston Herald, and I am not using hyperbole there, Jeff. Your <laughs> <laughs> your spreadsheet breaking down coverage stats and pressure stats is the best in the business. And I'm sure you put a lot of time into this every Monday and Tuesday. Uh, I guess where I want to start with this, the way you put it together, when do you start putting that those stats together?
1: Well, first, thank you, and I really do appreciate that you acknowledging that and you're right the i I put a lot of effort into that and i take it seriously. and i I start it more often than not monday you know sometimes if there's a road trip and i can get a start on sunday night i will but usually monday morning and i get it done usually by monday afternoon and it's uh you know the coverage stats are never perfect in because you can never you never know exactly what's going on with what the coverage was there are anywhere between 8 and 12 plays or passes a game that I just chalk up to a soft zone or a broken coverage that I can't give to somebody and and I think that's different from PFF because you know they they give a culprit or they kind of hold somebody accountable for every play and that's not always the way that Bill Belichick coaches you know Certainly in a situation <laughs> where yeah exactly you know there there are plenty of times when if uh you know you got two linebackers who are in a bit of a zone all he wants you to do is keep the ball over the middle you know there's other instances like the end of the game on on Sunday against the Texans when I think it was Hopkins who caught that pass right before the Hail Mary I didn't give that to anybody because you know you got Stefan Gilmore out there who's his only instruction is, yeah, let him keep it, just tackle him. So, I'm not going to penalize Stephon Gilmore for doing exactly what he's supposed to do. Uh, so, everything, there's, there are imperfections. You know, there are other times when, I think the Stephon Gilmore, or the Tyreek Hill 75 yard touchdown in the season opener is one that people have a lot of contention with. I talked to people in the locker room, and I was like, look, what was the assignment here? Who did what? Who screwed up? And and what I was told was you know, they were a handful of guys who just read the play correctly but read it differently. And I know that it doesn't make a ton of sense. I'm kind of being vague there. But when you got three guys on one play who all make a good read independently but collectively don't make the right read, then that means that's a perfect example of, I guess, really on the larger scale, some of the communication issues the Patriots are having defensively right now.
0: Well, the other thing
1: and- – ultimately. Yeah, the
0: other thing I would oh, yeah. say there to, to, to jump in there real quick, Jeff, is technique. If if a player's technique is different in a different situation, that can throw the whole thing off. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that I've also talked to a couple of players in, in, in the locker room about that. And they, that's what they told me. They said, look, and former players, um, if they could be in a cover two, but if it's cover two with a certain type of shade towards one side, the strong side or the weak side, and a player – turns his hips
1: the different way because he reads it a different way, that throws everything off. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely one hundred percent right. And part of that happened on that particular play too. But ultimately, I mean if that play or that defense sort of unfolds a little differently in the first half for the snap, yeah, that could be a situation where you pin it on McCourty, but it wasn't McCourty's fault. And what the bottom line for that for me was Stephon Gilmore, the the biggest rule that they have in in various zone defenses is you cannot pass off your guy to another zone unless you are 100% certain that zone is covered. And Gilmore passed off Hill to a zone that wasn't covered, and that's why I gave the 75-yard touchdown to Gilmore. So, you know, not everything's perfect. Uh, You can't read everything through a coach's eyes because you don't know all the play calls, and certainly you can't ask the players about every single play because they'll – eventually want to kill you so you pick and choose your spots you do the best you can and and I appreciate you saying that stuff okay
0: let's move on to somebody who did not have a good game and has really not had a, a good start to the season and he might be hurt and he's getting a little bit long in the tooth and I think you can figure it out by all of that lead in I'm talking about left tackle Nate Solder um where do you what do you read into his four sacks four quarterback hits he had a pressure and a hold so far this season
1: Yeah, you know, that's definitely a tough start. And my theory here is, and there's a little wrinkle to it, because he kind of hinted that he was dealing with something before the game, had to get some treatment before the game. So he might be hurt. The other thing with that is, you know, the last two weeks, he's dealt with Cam Jordan with the Saints, who I I think is a franchise-caliber defensive player who just gets lost in the shuffle in one of the worst defenses in the league. And last week, he gets the barrage of Clowney, Merciless, and then I think a very quick dose of J.J. Watt. Uh, The three sacks were, I believe, two for Clowney and one for Merciless, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, those are tough assignments. But it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a left tackle, you can't be allowing three sacks in the game. And my theory going into the game was, all right, he was – there's no doubt about it. He was hurt throughout training camp he didn't practice in training camp which means the amount of practices that he had in pads especially in back-to-back days was virtually nothing compared to a lot of his other teammates bill belichick week was asked about the uh, the offensive line epidemic around the nfl right now and the first thing he said now this is a general question but the first thing that belichick said was these guys have practice restrictions so it's hard to teach offensive line technique to guys who can't go out there and uh, instantly do it with full speed, with contact, with pads on, especially at the end of training camp. So keep that in mind with Solder. And then the third thing that comes into play there, Solder has always been about technique more than anything else. He's got great footwork, and for a guy who is as tall as a Redwood, (laughs) he needs technique in order to bend and get into the correct stance in order to be uh, a top-10 caliber left tackle, which I believe he's been through the majority of his career. So, you got a guy who was injured in training camp, needed to work on technique, but can't because he wasn't out there in pads. And then you carry that over into the season, and two of the assignments that he had in the first three weeks were when he allowed all four of his sacks. And that's a a recipe for disaster for a guy who, again, didn't have the time to work the technique the way that Bill Belichick said in a general sense last week that he needed You and I have seen Tom Brady for a
0: long, long, long time. I cannot remember a time when Tom Brady was as accurate under duress as he was on Sunday. First of all, that ball he threw to start the game, the 40-yarder to Brandon Cooks down the left sideline, when he let go of it, he was almost horizontal and... (laughs) the ball i mean literally the ball was right on target and ironically he bookends that with the last throw of the game the game winner also to brandon cooks again he and i couldn't remember who it was going at his legs and tackling him to the ground he waited as long as he possibly could on sunday in duress that to me is what made brady's performance
1: so great uh on sunday you agree Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't you can't go out there and preach attitude and preach finishing and, you know, preach toughness and a championship mentality and all that stuff and then go and and not play the way that Brady did. So, when he is trying to hold guys accountable like he did after the opener, you got to go out and you got to hold yourself to the same standard. And he's done that. He's taken punishment against uh, you know, a Three off or three defensive linemen who hit you as hard as, as just about anybody in the NFL, and and he was happy to <laughs> happy is a funny word to use there yeah. happy to take those hits in order to deliver the passes. You talk about the Amendola one too. I mean he some of the best throws that he made that day he took one right on the chin and I mean again that's up there with you know. Yeah right off the top of my head in terms of the amount of times that he got hit or harassed and and was still pinpoint accurate. You talk about Super Bowl 49, especially in the second half. Yep. But yeah, I mean, who, what else? I mean, can you expect anything less from him? And and that's one of those things I walked out of there on Sunday, late afternoon, evening, whatever it was. and, And I thought to myself, I don't, I can't, I don't take these things for granted because there are a lot of, there are a lot of beat writers around the league. I mean, every beat writer who doesn't cover the Patriots doesn't have it as good in terms of watching the greatest quarterback of all time, obviously. But can't take these days for granted because we're never going to see a guy like Brady ever again.
0: I said the same thing to a Patriots official walking out the door, uh, walking out out of the locker room on Sunday. I said, you know what, in 10, 15 years when I'm on a beach somewhere and I remember games like this, I'm going to remember watching – the greatest quarterback ever, and certainly of our generation, hands down, um, do this on almost a routine basis. That's, to me, what makes it so remarkable is it almost becomes expected that as soon as the Texans didn't convert that third and one, um late in the game and you know convert the first down and get in punch it in for to make it a two score game you you had the feeling even on third and 12 and third and 17 or third and 18 uh he was going to convert you just had that sense jeff i want to f- finish up uh with obviously the story of the week and i I hesitate asking this because it's been such a great football conversation, but, uh, you know, it is the elephant in the room and how the Patriots handled the anthem protest and Bill Belichick's very carefully parsed statement uh, reacting to it. What was your reaction to not only Sunday, but
1: Belichick's statement uh, this week? As for Belichick, I think the first half of that statement well, to back it up, he never says anything to us in the media that he wouldn't say to his own team. And everything that he says he expects will in some form. You know, they don't all and everything, but he, everything he says is something that he expects will get back to his team in some capacity. And I think anybody who read that statement and listened to Belichick talk, whether it was Friday night or Saturday or Sunday or even Monday, they read that statement, and they were like, I know exactly what he's talking about right yep. here. It doesn't matter if we pick up on it or if people on the outside say it's too vague. Everything he does is for the guys in the locker room. Uh, if you're, not you particular, if anybody out there is is looking for Belichick to make a political statement or anything like that, I mean, what have you come to expect at this point? That's not who he is. Uh, so he makes He makes comments in every capacity, whether it's calling out a guy indirectly like Malcolm Butler a couple weeks ago or something like this. That's what he's going to do because he expects it to get back to his locker room. And as for Sunday, there are, I mean, I've got a lot of opinions. I have, I'm not, I'm going to get to it. Uh, I'm not trying to sit on the fence here. I've carefully stayed out of politics in the public forum for a good five or six years because I've learned that you could, you could be dead on about something or at least in your own opinion and half the country, half your listeners, half your readers right. aren't going to agree with it. Yep. And they, they take it to a, a pretty nasty level. The people who disagree, the, the stick to sports crowd, you don't, you know, when you're a victim of racism or racial intolerance or prejudice or, or a, oppression or anything like that, You know, those victims, those players, they don't get to stick to sports. They don't get to just show up at the stadium and not hear stuff from the crowd, as we've learned this season and other sports as well. Uh, They certainly don't get to leave the stadium. And, you know, you hear about what happened with Michael Bennett. You know, these are situations they themselves are finding that, that they're in. And when you are protesting, you have to make it uncomfortable. You are trying to be a voice to those who are voiceless or or more anonymous, and you want to speak out and you want to spark change. They did it respectfully. They did it peacefully. And none of them were sitting here trying to disrespect the flag or the anthem. They were all trying to help the country that they love get better. And it's unfortunate that the discourse has fallen off the main point or the intended point that these players who are trying to speak out have had because all it is is about them trying to speak out for those, the victims of racism and oppression that that don't deserve to be on that side of the spectrum for as long as they have.
0: I think that's incredibly well said, Jeff. And the thing is um, in this particular issue, it is such a hot button topic that people react With such, like you said, vitriol, if they disagree with you, you can't reason with them, which is why I think, you know, and I, I intentionally have, you know, tried to remove myself from the story and remove any opinion from the story. And I went as far as when I entered the stadium on Sunday, I must tell you, I dreaded being there because I sensed what kind of day it was going to be like. But I I told myself, look, you've got to cover the story, the news, the people who follow you to follow the Patriots. You've got to do justice to what your job is and then try to just leave it at that. And that's a fine line. I think we walk sometimes. Uh, and that's just kind of how I felt about Sunday. It was a very... For me, it was a very uncomfortable day, uh, but once I got through it i I felt a sense of relief that, hey, look, stuff like real life happens, and whether it 's sports or whether you said like you said uh it's Michael Bennett uh in you know outside a club uh or outside the casino real life real shit happens and you got to deal with it in the best way you can and that's the way i've kind of looked at this whole week and this and i just pray that we can just move back to football and i think you know with this in the rearview mirror i'm sure there's going to be other political statements made i think it is a
1: time for uh, people to just move on to football yeah and you know again uh, i'm you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell anybody how to feel or how to act. Everybody is entitled to their opinion. Everyone's entitled to to their to their dedication to free speech and what they think that means to them. I think the only thing I want, and I think if if we all just kind of live by this motto, this is something I've always believed in. Just just respect people until they give you a reason not to, and that's you just just show respect. And if you don't agree with them, you don't agree with them. If you can allow yourself to listen to something you don't agree with, then, you know maybe you'll hear something that will change your mind. And if you don't, and you don't want to,
0: just respect them. I couldn't agree more. And uh, that's quite a heavy note to end on, Jeff. Um, is there anything else you want to say about anybody else you want to take out on Twitter, any any other uh comedians, tv shows uh one p- parting shot at eric stone street the forum is all yours <laughs> jeffrey
1: <laughs> no you know what we'll we'll see how the night plays out but i mean shoot i didn't i didn't walk into that random what friday night however many years ago thinking i was going to take down dane cook and i i didn't oh. certainly didn't break down chief's film a few years ago <laughs> thinking it was going to turn into a uh, a years-long battle with eric stone street so We'll you know what? The night is young, Mike. We'll see how it ends up. It sure is, but Dane Cook, boy.
0: Talk about uh, the Wayback Machine and great memories there. That is phenomenal stuff, Jeffrey P. Howe. Uh, obviously, people can follow you, Jeff, uh, on Twitter at Jeff P. Howe. And where else can they follow you if
1: uh, they so desire? Follow me on the Herald, you know, bostonherald.com on that website. And in the newspaper, buy a paper, buy two. Buy some for your friends. Uh, they make great Christmas gifts. Uh, you can you can download my podcast as well, the Jeff Howe Show, and I don't know. I don't think I'm on any other social media platforms. So you know, we'll just stick to that stuff.
0: That sounds great, Jeff. Stay with CLNS all. <laughs> stay with CLNS all day on game day, starting with the CLNS Media New England Patriots. Pre-game show with Alex Barth a half hour before every game, then you can catch the post-game show with Marvin Izon and Mike Molino live after every single game on clnsmedia.com. Subscribe to both on iTunes and Stitcher and now YouTube. Also get daily team updates on the Patriots Newsfeed Podcast with Tyler Trudeau, which is also available on the CLNS Media New England Patriots postgame show feed. Again, available on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and the CLNS Media mobile app. Thanks again for downloading today's Patriots Beat. want to once again thank our guest Jeff Howe from the Boston Herald, a tremendous Patriots Beat writer. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff P. Howe, as he indicated. You can also give us a follow at Patriots underscore Beat and CLNS Media also give my own personal account a follow at trags, trags today's sponsor was draft for patriots content manager mike Alonghi, clns media executive producer larry h russell the founder of the network nick gelso thanks to everyone who tuned in this is mike petralia and this is the patriots beat podcast powered by clns media
1: What's going on Past Nation? This is Marvin Zone of the CLNS Media Network and I'm here to tell you right now to check out the CLNS Media New England Patriots postgame show hosted by myself and my co-host mr mike nice and live on clns radio immediately after every single pass game calling at 929-477-2386 toll free to get your voice heard and contribute to the host breakdown and analysis of the latest patriots contest we also got the stars and sorries of the day twitter posts for the plays of the game and everything else that is going on with the five-time super bowl champion Subscribe to CLN's Media New England Patriots Postgate Show on iTunes and Stitcher. And the best way, download the free CLN's Media Network mobile app for on-demand listening anytime, anyplace, anywhere.